you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome everybody to a special year end edition of Bare Naked Money. We're sitting here recording this on December the 30th. Josh and I are holding down the floor to as usual, Josh is way more prepared for this than I am, and I just can't wait for the ride that Josh is about to take us on. Josh, take it away, buddy. Well, in true year-end fashion, we decided that it makes sense to recap the stories of the year, which there were many to choose from, but we think we've we've hit the the biggest, broadest, most impactful topics. But also, we both went back and listened to our predictions podcast from the start of 2022 and which we made 10 predictions for the coming year. And so we're going to recap that as well. So stay tuned for that because it's, I found it pretty interesting. And I, there's one there where I just almost fell off my chair. <laughs> it's, it, it's kind of eerie to how close some of the predictions came to some type of alternative universe <laughs> type of, uh, uh, type of prediction. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, why don't we kick it off with stories of the year, Colin? Oh, look, absolutely. Uh, do, do you want me to, to kick off with my, what I think is probably the most impactful story of the year on a somewhat serious, less entertainment and glitzy mode? Yeah, sure. Do it. I think inflation is probably the story of the year. And it's actually a year long story because it was only in December of last year, the Bank of Canada stopped calling inflation transitory. And this year, Tip back us to and said that Bank of Canada got it wrong and they aggressively chasing down the inflation monster this year. You know, I've never, I've never in my life noticed a central banker being as dogmatic and as stiff has been on the whole. We will bring inflation down to 2%. It doesn't matter how many people have to die to get there. Kind of almost political posturing that he's been doing this year, which is, I'm not sure how I feel about that is to, I like my central bankers to be more in the background being more mellow dudes, uh, I'm not sure how I feel with the level of uh, vitriol that Tiff has been coming out and the places he's been showing up talking, like he's seeming to wade into the political realm a little bit and uh, everybody gets covered with chicken shit when you, when you go into those games. So anyway, I, I think that that's kind of a multi-headed thematic story of the year that has, has a couple of, a uh, couple of hairs on it. And I think it's going to continue to play out into next year. Josh, is that, was that number one on your list? Yeah, I didn't really rank mine, but that to me that that is the driving force of everything else that we'll talk about in terms of stories of the year. And I was thinking as I was reflecting on the year, I was thinking, damn, this year seems like it's been a long year, doesn't it? Can, can you imagine? Can you believe that it was just not even twelve months ago that we had this this pivot from the central banks where they said, well, this is no longer transitory. And then they started hiking rates aggressively. Like it, it feels like we've just had five to 10 years worth of activity in the markets that have all been condensed into 10 to 12 months. It's it's really unbelievable. Well, it, it's been, a, I, I would call it a dense year for sure. And I think some of it's a bit of a pent up demand. I mean, a lot of the, the things that have unwound or unwoven uh, this past year have been talked about for a while. Again, I've been talking about higher interest rates for a good chunk of my career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So a lot of this stuff I think was expected over the last number of years, but yeah, it's, it, it really has sprung this year and we've got a dramatically different landscape now, Yeah, dramatically different landscape from a setting expectations, a planning perspective, but in as much as we exist in an ecosystem that does affect what's possible, what's tenable and what our expectations should be. So the best laid plans, we're not going to protect, protect anybody. Mm-hmm. from the upheaval we've gone through this year. Yeah, so. that that seems to be the perfect word to describe this year to me is dense. It's like we took everything that was supposed to happen over the last 10 years and crammed it all into 10 months. And uh-huh. you, you mentioned inflation. You also hinted at interest rates there. So inflation at 40-year highs, interest rate at 15-year highs, give or take. But also sort of next story of the year for me is this real estate crash that people have been predicting as long as I've been in this business. And I can we call it a crash? Uh, the numbers I see de- say down 12 to 15%. Can we, can we call that a crash or is that more of a correction in your mind? Well, I call it more of a correction to me. It's got to go over the 20% mark. But the problem is, is that we have really inadequate price discovery in real estate markets. Everything is a lagging indicator. It seems to be very regionally focused and the liquidity has gone away for sure. We're not seeing the mm-hmm. number of transactions, which again, to me leads to less pure uh, price discovery. I think a lot of real estate got pulled forward when the rates got really, really high. So a lot of people who may have been thinking about selling a piece of property for whatever reason, they think that inventory was kind of pulled forward. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be the ability of maybe in the overall market to be a little bit more patient for a bit mm-hmm. and hope that lower prices don't persist. Uh, but I think it's, it's much tougher. I mean, it's a lot more exciting to, to say it's crashed. Sure. We could say it's crashed, uh, but I, I would say it was more of a, a gentle swoon. A decline, if you will. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gen- gentle swoon it is. So the numbers I saw down 12 to 15% or so, depending on what what uh, index you're looking at from the Canadian Real Estate Association there. So, but to your point, it's, it's a very heterogeneous market, real estate. And I was talking to my cousin who's a real estate agent over Christmas, and he was saying, yeah, some markets in, in the greater Toronto area here are down about 35% from the peak. So you have some that are probably holding up just fine and others that are down a third from their peak earlier this year. And that's a pretty stark difference. So depending on which part of the world that you live in, uh, it could be a true crash for you, or you could have just experienced a gentle swoon, like you said. Well, the other thing about real estate is real estate has got the capacity to go zero bid in yeah. certain circumstances for a period of time where it's just not like there's, there's not a taker at any price. And we've got some, some tax changes that are going to kick in next year that's going to make investing in real estate a bit more problematic, a little less bountiful uh, on top of the interest rate moves. So, yeah, there's a number of things still to play out there. So, yeah, there are people, I, and I know of one or two, that are sitting in a situation where, yeah, they, if they tried to give it away, they probably wouldn't be able to find someone to take it on right now. Uh, yeah. So... And coming back to our initial story, inflation drove up interest rates to a significant extent, and interest rates have, to me, been a significant driver in the, the decreases in the price of real estate. So this stuff is all intertwined and interwoven. Well, as it's intended to be, because again, I saw some math, and again, depending on what assumptions you make and how you hold your tongue, the decline in real estate prices the increase in interest rates have left the monthly costs of home ownership roughly at the same level. 
Yeah. Sure. And depending on, again, you have to make a couple of assumptions here that it doesn't always hold true. But at the end of the day, that's the expected intent or the expected outcome of economic policy like this. Like, mm-hmm. It's not as if people can afford to spend dramatically more for a house. It just makes the house worth less because more of that money is going to interest. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So the next one, and as I was was going through my stories of the year here, I was thinking, oh, that's not good. That's not really nice either. That's bad too. Like, oh, I don't have any good stories. So unfortunately, this won't be a super rosy podcast, but my next one is stocks and bonds. Both down double per, uh, digit percentages this year and bonds having, by most accounts and by most data sets, the worst year in recorded history. Yeah. And, and again, this is one of those uh, things, and again, we've we, we talked about this before, where bonds trade every day. But if you're holding a five-year bond and you're going to hold it to maturity, you know, what somebody's willing to pay you for that bond this year doesn't really matter in yellow beans. Uh, so again, people talk about lost money in bonds this year. Well, if you're actively trading them or you're liquidating a bond portfolio this year, then yes, you, you have lost. But again, holding these instruments to maturity, like we haven't, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, we haven't seen any material default increases in investment grade bonds for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what we're, what, what's happening in the high yield space, whether we've seen increase in defaults, uh, but. We're not talking about the bond market defaulting. We're just talking about the current value of the long-term bond portfolio being less than last year, yeah. Uh, which it is not as apocalyptic as some of the other commentators will talk about this topic. Yeah. So bonds are down 10% in value and price, what people would pay for them today, which is, a again, a function of higher interest rates. Interest rates go up, the prices on bonds go down. But you're exactly right. If Assuming that the the issuer of the bond doesn't default, doesn't run out of money to pay you back, you're still going to get your full repayment on maturity of that bond. So, and and you're also right, the default rates have maybe ticked up ever so slightly, but they're not at a concerning level by any means at this point. So could that be still coming? Yeah, it still could be coming, but um, it it it's really... The, the 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 decrease in the value of bonds is really a function of interest rates going from effectively zero to the highest that they've been in 15 years in a very short period of time. And that's startling. Oh, no, for, for sure it is. But I, I do think it's important for people to realize, because again, if a client sees three or four statements in a row drop, they do a calculation on a straight line basis, thinking their account's going to zero. Mm-hmm. Again, unless a bond defaults, it doesn't go to zero. It could take you longer to get your money back out of it. But it's not going to zero. There will be a, there's a baseline somewhere absent of default. It's just the way the bonds work, right? So that gets lost in the shop. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, people talk about bonds lost money this year. The, the value of a bond portfolio is down for sure. Mm-hmm. But the, the bonds didn't go away. Yep. And, and I think this has become a bigger story this year than it would otherwise because stocks are down as well. So typically when you see stocks down, you rely on bonds to be the ballast for your portfolio. And this year they haven't been that for people. So any of those investors with a diversified or balanced portfolio are feeling it more than they normally would this year. But are you you telling me during times of of market volatility, correlations go to one, that the predicted value of correlations in good times are not all that value when, when times get rocky. Is that, is that what we're learning, Josh? So typically, 
I'm going to push back on this because typically risk assets, the correlations will spike for sure. So your Canadian stocks are going to perform like your US stocks, like your cryptocurrencies, like your global stocks, et cetera. They're all going to be very correlated, but your your uh, safer assets, your government bonds, for example, typically hold up very well and correlations don't go to one. They, they typically stay uncorrelated. So but that hasn't been the case this year. So that that's why it's been a very unusual year to, this has never happened where you've, and I shouldn't say never, but not in the, the data records that we have going back about 50 years with bonds. We've never seen a year where stocks have been down double digit percentages and bonds have been down double digit percentages as well. Yeah, well, again, it's, it, at least it's a matter of the magnitude of the shock that has assisted. In the 2008, there was also a increase in correlation between various asset classes and geographies. Uh, yeah, but, but bonds did well. But bond, if, if you had government bonds, you did well with those government bonds in 2008. Yeah. Oh, the government bond, again, we, we, we can go back through the history books and get into the corporate bonds and yield and all the rest of where the, the real problem happens in 2008. But yeah, it's, it's, it's important to realize that we make assumptions and we, we, we build boats. Like we, we build a boat the best way we can, the most balanced way you can, and then the weather happens. And I think it's important for people's expectations to be realistic. You, you can do a lot to mitigate things. You can do a lot to put the odds in your favor. But every once in a while, it just hits. And I think this is one of those years. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's an odd, odd position for us to be in because it's, a, it's I don't know, I don't want to, more comfortable is not the word, but it seems more natural that everybody's kind of accepted where things are compared to times when part of the, the economy is doing super badly. And some of it's doing really, really well. Like this is more of a homogeneous, like, yeah, everything's not well. So there's a bit more acceptance, I think, during this time than there has been during other market upheavals uh, previous. Yeah. Speaking of not doing well, my other story of the year, the crypto crash. Well, yeah. I, who, who would have thought it? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, it's sad. It, it's just sad. I mean, the, the stories are coming out now. Again, I, I saw the guy, the guy they brought in to clean up Enron, the guy that cleaned that mess up. He's appearing before the U.S. Senate. He's, he's testifying. Man, the, the inner stories coming out of that space are just unreal. Like the fact, what was the one that was him, the, the freed guy, the guy that they just arrested down Dan the line. Dan Bankman so, freed, yeah. Yeah. So he was using QuickBooks. No, he was, <laughs> was right that true? I didn't swear, hear that. <laughs> swear to God, he, they, they are at the, they're asking about the record keeping and the guy kind of shook his head. He goes, what records there were, and there weren't many was, so they were using QuickBooks. He was very quick to say, he goes, which is a wonderful tool, not designed to run a multi-billion dollar company though. Yeah, no doubt. So, and this guy's just shaking his head. He goes, they're asking compared to Enron. He goes, there's no records. Like there's no, there's no corporate governance. There's. Just no, nothing like billions of dollars you're talking about. It's just, mm -hmm. it, I, I don't know. It's even hard to say that we were right other than we didn't really believe it. I yeah. don't, don't think I would have predicted the level of depravity that's, 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 that's coming to light. And it certainly gives me no joy, but I can't also say I'm all that surprised because again, you give a, a completely you know, uh, anonymous world, you're going to attract the most greed, uh, the most 
wrongdoers. And it's going to lead and is leading to more and more regulation in the space. Yeah, we, we, I'd say we would have predicted a crash at some point. We were pretty negative on the space, or at least I should say very cautious on the space anyway. And this is a true crash, by the way. I looked at the market cap numbers and it went from about 3 trillion to 800 million for all the cryptocurrencies combined. So you're down about 75%. So that's a crash. That's a crash. That's a true crash. No, no doubt about that. What's, what's beyond crash? So I think 20% is considered a crash. And when you get over 75%, is that an obliteration? <laughs> that, that's the word that came to mind for me. <laughs> so obliteration, or if you're just at zero, it's just, it's over. It's over. So I don't know. That's, I guess, what we call death. But um, yeah, I, I, as I was saying, I, I just, I don't, I wouldn't have predicted the level of fraud that has gone on with some of these like right across the board. Now, maybe I should have, maybe that was foolish of me. Maybe I had a little bit too much faith in, in humankind, but yeah, this is, it's just next level stuff. And the, like Sam Bagman fried was six months ago, the so-called golden boy of crypto. Yeah. And, and now he's the, the, whatever the opposite of a golden boy is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a stone boy or. Well, yeah, this, this, this is leading us to a language problem. Like we don't have words to describe the level of what's happened. So I think, all right, Josh, you need to come up with a language plan. Like make a note that you and I need to sit down with Catherine to come up with a language plan to describe exactly the level of, of poo that has gone on. I'm yeah. thinking of lots of words in my head that Catherine will just bleep out later. So I won't use them. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, to some extent, I think this has been, I don't want to draw a line between interest rates and crypto because I don't think that there's any line to draw there, but it's it's a reflection of, of the greater risk aversion that's now come into our world with higher interest rates and lower stock prices and lower bond prices and lower real estate prices and all that. I, I think it's spilled over to just about every asset class that's out there. If you can even call cryptocurrency an asset class. I don't know if we're well, going that far. Well, no, it's a Ponzi scheme is what it is. Now, you, you raise an interesting point, Josh, and I, there will be papers and studies done on this. Now, was this a, a Ponzi scheme that was going to collapse of its own volition at mm -hmm. some point just because it was so completely fraudulent and what was going on? Or was it actually propped up by how cheap capital was? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of money floating around, which made it a bigger Ponzi scheme than it would have otherwise been or allowed it to exist longer than it otherwise would have. Or are they two separate issues? That's actually a very good question. I, I'd read that paper or something wrote it. Yeah. And I think both those things are true. I think there was an inevitable collapse at some point, but I think the the low interest rates was like pouring gasoline on an already roaring fire. So yeah. not and something I, that you want to do most of the time. And I still keep thinking that this is gonna this could be of a Napster esque kind of event with this technology and the space that it's the first swing at the cat is going to be outside of the legal bounds of, of normal conduct. But what's going to get left behind is something that maybe is revolutionary and usable. Mm -hmm. Again, I keep saying that, but I, I, I still struggle to see it. Like it's the technology for me at this point still seems to be a solution looking for a problem. Mm -hmm. I, I still think. Again, I've said it a, a few times on the pod. I still think that there's going to be something that comes out of the, the crypto space, whether it's just the blockchain or the cryptocurrencies themselves. But I, I'm not, 
I'm not forward thinking enough or futuristic enough to be able to figure out exactly what that is. And that that's why we've stayed away from it all along. I mean, the, the space was, was it stank of a bubble and a crash waiting to happen. But beyond that, there, there is something there. I think, I still think that. Well, it'll be interesting to watch because I mean, to, for me, it's getting a little bit eclipsed by some of the other technologies that are coming out with the new AI applications and stuff like that. I've seen some stuff in the last month or two that just absolutely are a quantum leap about how we're using technology now and some of the stuff that's possible. Uh, so again, it, it may be that this you know, solution looking for a problem is going to get completely wiped out by even newer and better more advanced technologies in the mm-hmm. space. So it, it may miss its moment. Yeah. Pretty soon we won't even need to record a podcast because we'll be able to deep fake ourselves into it like uh some of that technology is doing now. So that would be that would be great. That would be a lot of free time for us. Yeah, that'd be a little spooky. I wonder what I had to say today. I better listen to it because somebody asked me. <laughs> now that that's all that I had down here for for my stories of the year. Is there anything that I didn't touch on that you think is we're talking about seems that uh, the, the, the topics we talked about are, are quite dense for sure. Uh, uh, other stories of the year, I mean, industry wide, the, 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 the SRO, uh, combination in Canada. Uh, so the investment industry is going to get a little bit more streamlined in Canada this year, which is a uh, move forward. It's, it's going through some bureaucratic hurdles, but there is, there's some fundamental changes afoot in the Canadian marketplace, which should make it better. Um, I was a little surprised at how little pushback or what's been said about the Royal Bank buying HSBC's assets in Canada. Yeah. Having, having an oligopoly allowed to buy out another player in the space and have it be the largest of, of the, the, the player to buy out another player. I mean, what point does somebody open their eyes and go, maybe that wasn't a good idea? And mm-hmm. This is nothing against Royal Bank other than, again, it's more competition in the marketplace. Yeah. It's something that, that's a governmental role. The left to its own devices, there will be one winner, truly capitalistic system. And so you can't blame the players per se. And Royal Bank actually did that because they were forced to put more money on the balance sheet uh, by the regulators during COVID as, as a backstop. So they had extra money. Their obligation to shareholders was to have to deploy it. So this is just an opportunity. I think that's an underreported yet very big story. Uh, this year and something that's is material is going to change and maybe not in a good way and change the Canadian marketplace. Yeah. It's interesting in kind of the same month that happened as well as just last night, there was uh, basically a thumbs up for the Rogers Shaw merger to happen. So you're, I've been hearing for the last couple of years that governments on in the Western world, especially Canada, U S we're going to get a little bit more, strict on the anti-competitive behavior, like these mergers and monopolies and things like that. But certainly over the last year, I don't see that that much uh, come into fruition on the Canadian side, for sure. Oh, and it's interesting because I do think that you have seen some progress in deglobalization of global economies. Also, countries have gotten back a little bit more to be more self-reliant, given the fragility of what's happened during the last number of years. So. There has been some, I don't know, progress. There's, there's, I guess progress is the way to, to describe it uh, from governments against pure capitalistic or pure profit motive uh, organization of the marketplace. So 
That's an interesting, interesting dynamic to watch, but it's not, doesn't lend itself to a nice little paper. So, yeah, right. What else? Anything else that's hot button topic for you? No, I think that's those are the important things. I think we've covered uh, the inflation feeding and interest rates, I think is the dominant story. Uh, the geopolitical strike in Ukraine, uh, yeah. I think took everybody by, by surprise. Yeah. I guess that I was just January. Shipped. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. true. I don't know how I missed that on the stories of the year, but. Well, it's not a purely financial story. There's financial yeah. ramifications. And look, and I'm really quick to say it's a human tragedy, but we're, we're not your, we're not studying the humanities here. We're just talking about the financial impact. Um, it's an, I've been a little maybe impressed with the ability of the global economy to shift energy suppliers and about food and stuff coming out of Ukraine and how the globe is seemingly doing okay with adjusting to things. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the magnitude of the, or the perceived magnitude of the upheaval. Uh, so. Yeah. I'm going to call that the non-story of the year is this so-called oil at $200 a barrel, cat- catastrophe on food prices. Yes, stuff got more expensive this year. And yes, it, it was pretty detrimental for a while there, but far from this catastrophe that was being predicted early on where we're not going to have any gasoline, we're not going to have any greens, we're not going to have any natural gas to heat our homes like that. We've, we've been able to pivot very well. Uh, speaking to the, the, the quality of uh, the global economy, I would say. Oh, for sure. Now again, I, I don't, I don't want to undersell the, the absolute suffering going on in Ukraine. Yeah. Many people in areas of Europe that are affected by this. I don't want to for a second gloss over what that is, but, but again, it's from a financial perspective, and I say this to clients all the time. I mean, our bet is the global economy is going to find a way forward. Uh, if you invest in a diversified portfolio and trust the global economy to find a way forward and don't get too caught up in trends and investing in very specific fragile areas. Yeah, you can count on that. Uh, and so yeah, this, I, I, I'd score the global economy a solid eight and a half out of 10 this year on its ability to pivot uh, adjust to some very, very big disruptive forces. Yeah. Not without issues, but, uh, it's been again, multiple years of chaos and we seem to have come through. Okay. Uh, despite everything that's gone on. Yeah. Listen, I, and I'd push back to that. I think you've come, come I had swimmingly that the quality of life that we get to continue to enjoy. Yeah. The, you know, the technology, what it's been able to do, the medical science side of what we're able to do. I mean, it's just a year that we, again, another, another story we haven't talked about. We're not talking about cold. Yeah. That's, that's a story we're not talking about. Uh, medical science is going to wrestle that one to the ground. Like it has every other problem that has faced humankind over the last number of decades. So. Yeah, I think there's all all kinds of reasons to be optimistic about and proud of the ability of, of humankind to, to forge way forward. So can I recap our last year's predictions, mostly my last year's predictions, and uh, get your grades and your thoughts on them? Sure. Are we going to keep track of them so that there's a final grade like you won it last time? Or? Yep. Yeah, exactly. You, you can give me a pass or fail at the end based on a, an average of the grades or something. <laughs> sure. All right. So just a reminder for anybody that uh, has listened to us regularly, we did early in 2022, uh, a set of 10 predictions. Some were legit predictions. Some were a little bit bent in our, in our favor, uh, to, to, to provide a specific type of message to the, the audience there. But 
Anyway, I'm going to run through them, call in, and you can let me know what you think of them uh, here in hindsight, of course. Now, number one, last year's predictions. These predictions won't be on any other podcasts. No, uh, some of the themes may have appeared other places, but no, no, ours is way less interesting than every other prediction I read for twenty. <laughs> or, or way more interesting, depending on how you look at it. Now, I didn't listen to any other, uh, every other podcast, I should say, so we can't really litigate this one 100%. So I, I don't know, I'll, 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 I'll give myself an X and say that I didn't get that one right, but uh, we'll, we'll move on here quickly. Uh, number two, there will be market volatility. Yes, yes, there was, and the volatility that matters to people. As yes. I described last year, it's only the downward volatility that people notice yep. describe as being volatile. Oh, and we had that this year. Yeah, yeah, in uh, in droves for sure. All right, number three, and this you owe me uh, an answer for this one as well. Oh, you will, we will, we all will regret one investment non-decision in 2022. Now, you said last year that you don't really regret non-decisions anymore or investment decisions, but you did admit that there's probably going to be one non-decision this year that you regretted. So which one is it, Colin? You know what? The regret is a, is a hard word. And I, I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I have, I think I have something to learn from this year. Uh, so maybe that's a better way of putting it. Uh, it is always difficult to maintain an even perspective on things. We, in January of this year, had come to accept a number of things as being unexplainable, but just the way it is, whether it was the, the valuation on some of the tech giants or Tesla or companies like that. And just because that's the way it is, everybody was kind of a bit, I felt I became a bit more accepting of those anomalies than maybe I should have. Uh, at the time I would have said, look, it is what it is. I don't understand it, but it is what it is. So I, I'm not going to be too, too fussed about it. Uh, I guess I learned about myself that every once in a while I do go along with the crowd a little bit. Uh, maybe I should have been more boisterous in my opposition to, to going along with some of those things that again, hindsight's 2020, but you know, there were some things. And we, we didn't hold big, huge positions in any of these things, but we, we were exposed to them. And, and I have trouble justifying that to myself. So that that's kind of a regret, isn't it? Yeah. Quasi-regret, let's call it. All right. Number four here, moving on. There will be somewhere between 150 and 300 million media publications making projections and zero of them will be useful. Stakes aren't high enough for anybody to do the math on this one, Josh. So we can't prove you wrong. So therefore, we're just going to have to say you were right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm sure if, if there were 300 million media publications making projections, at least one of them would be useful. So I'll uh, I'll give myself an X for that one because because it must be wrong. Uh, this one I thought was interesting. So politics will come into your realm this year, but won't have any bearing on the investment decision-making that we should be doing. I feel like this year has been much less politically driven than past years, but maybe I'm just, I've just had the politics beaten out of my head and put it in the back of my brain. What do you think? 
Well, I, I think it's, it's funny as you're, as you're saying that I'm kind of trying to define politics in my head because Bank of Canada is not a political, that's not political, it's governmental. And that has changed the water on the beans and the economic policy of the banks have changed the water on the beans. Is that, that's probably not by the purest definition politics. There's been significant changes tax-wise or uh, significant moves and overstretch. There have been changes tax-wise that have caused uh, changes to planning for people for sure. Is that political? No, I don't think so. I think what we're referring to was more the boisterous uh, bad haircut from the South and uh, things of that nature, which I think has waned a little bit. I, yeah. I think some of the edge is coming off some of the more extremes. Yeah, whether it's the trucker convoy here in Canada, or you got people like Durham, or you got people south of the border. Uh, I think my perception is their influence is seeming to have waned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think I stick by it. Yeah, waning or not, still not that relevant for investment decision making, which was kind of the point last year that we were trying to make: is like don't make decisions on this stuff. Yeah, but it's, it's become easier to, to abide by that. Like there's, there's, there's less, by, by waning, it's, it's even less of a perceived thing. So yeah, it's never been something to make investment decisions on. Yeah. So number six, this is my favorite prediction in hindsight. Elon Musk will tweet something this year and it should be completely ignored. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he didn't tweet something. He bought the tweeter. <laughs> well, first. So here's where I was completely wrong. He tweeted something that was huge that he was going to buy Twitter and he actually did it. So it shouldn't have been completely ignored. It should have been totally and completely accepted as truth. <laughs> so he totally threw me off. Well, no, but you said he, he was, he was going to tweet something that should be ignored. I don't think you said everything he tweeted should be. Oh, I guess. So, sure. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a pass on this one, but no, this is something we, we haven't talked about. Like, like. In the name of all that is holy, oh my God, something catch fire like this in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Everything from running a poll or whether he should resign. Like, come on. They asked the internet to name a boat and it got named Bodie McBoatface. I mean, you don't ask the internet questions like that. <laughs> it was a, it was a story to, to behold. That's for sure. Uh, okay. Moving on here. Number seven, if you have a long-term investment horizon. The markets this year, 2022, won't materially affect that path or the path towards one's goals. Yeah, when I heard that, I was like, we really need to put this in context because I think we're right. Long term, yeah. it hasn't affected anything. Long term, this is what is expected to happen from time to time. But the caveat is that it dramatically can impact short term decision making. Sure. And it should. Like there's 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 no way around it to to ignore the events are going on around you because your plan is so rock solid. Mm. Oh, th- this is one of those times where we are at a bit of an extreme where a modification of your expectations and plans can make a material difference to your long-term happiness. Right? So if you're thinking about buying a jet, uh, maybe waiting a year until your portfolio recovers, you're going to get more money to spend and you're going to have a nicer jet. So there, there, the, what has happened this year reasonably should be considered in your short-term planning. What am I going to do this year versus what can I put off a little while? It absolutely has mm-hmm. crossed that threshold. But no, I don't think it, it changes the long-term. Ex- oh, there's some lessons have been taught. 
I think so maybe some people have learned some things about again, how specific you wanted to get with your investments, the importance of being with the cool kids and Bitcoin and stuff like that. Uh, so I think there's some lessons that have been taught there, but, but I think at its core and all that prediction is something you can say every year and yeah, be okay with it. Yeah, for sure. So number eight here, unfortunately, this is more right than I wanted to be. Stock market returns will be lower than the prior year. Go figure. Yeah. They will lower it. Yeah. yeah. Lowers a word. Yeah. So but I no. think that, that as we sit here today on the 30th, it looks like the S&P 500 is going to be somewhere around 45% less in terms of return than the prior year. So it's up in the high 20% in 2020, uh, 2021 rather, and it looks like we're going to close down 18% or so in 2020. So uh, 2022, got all my yeah. dates messed up there. But uh, anyway, you got the point. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, things were lower. I mean, we were, and then to our credit, not our nervous, just they were cautious when we did this January of, of this year. And not for any specific reason. We didn't know how wrong the Bank of Canada had gotten it per se. We were still on the fence with what that was. But just that feeling of everything's gone really well for a while and we're due. Uh, that was definitely our mood in January. So mm -hmm. we were relatively cautious. Our outlook at that point. Uh, and not to steal the thunder or jump to the end, but at this point, I've, I've got some, I've got more optimism now than I had a year ago as to what comes next. Now, now that we've seen the sell off, we've seen things retrench. I think that we can expect reasonable returns on a go forward basis, much more confidently than we could have a year ago. Yeah. Especially not to change topics, but especially on the bond side where we've yeah. seen interest rates come up quite substantially. So yeah, it was a painful year for bonds. But I feel very confident now that uh, bonds will will look a lot better over the next five years than I would have said a year ago. Well, yeah, and, and not to jump in, but I mean, people have been thinking, I've had conversations with, with a couple of people saying, yeah, bonds didn't do well this year, we should sell them and go buy a GIC. It's like, well, after they sell off, again, they, they didn't default. They're going to keep earning at that GIC rate going forward. And yeah. That's, that's a reasonable expectation, so. Sure. Yeah, I mean, again, people's reaction to say, I got to jump out of bonds because they didn't protect me this year. Just accept the fact that you're going to be wrong every once in a while and things don't work out. That doesn't mean you should dramatically change course. Yeah. So number nine here, someone will tell you that real estate is the best investment you can possibly make. Little did I know oh. I was foreshadowing a whole bunch of chaos in that market as well. Oh, listen, for anybody who hasn't listened to the podcasts around the time you were buying a house and I was selling a house and the, the podcasts we did around those, I mean, I think the, the, your timing of buying a house and listening to the trailing indicators of what was supposed to be happening and the reality, what was actually going on at the moment, the dichotomy there is so instructive because so often people are looking at trailing indicators and they're trying to behave in the current day based on what that is, but current day is the current day. This could be when it's changing. And that's, that's a real thing. Now, number 10, there will be more cryptocurrencies at the end of the year than at the beginning. So did you check? I, I did. So, I, of course you did. I, so I, I listened to this last night. I thought, I laughed at myself because I was like, there is no possible way that I was right about this one. Little did I know there are more cryptocurrencies. So I, I went to a website called coinmarketcap.com that kind of tra tracks the price of all of them. 
And there's something like 9,300 listed today. And there is about 8,700 listed at the start of the year. So in a complete obliteration year for cryptocurrency, there is still somehow new cryptocurrencies listed. Who is buying this shit this year? Well, no, the fact they exist doesn't mean that a lot of people are buying them. But well, they have to, like, to, if you, I, I guess, can you create a cryptocurrency with nobody to buy it? I guess you could just give it away. That's one oh, option. Oh, you know what we do? We need to send a suggestion into John Oliver, uh, this, this week tonight or whatever his show is, because he was the one he's, he's launched ministries. He's launched all kinds of different cock community stuff. We should get him to launch his own crypto and watch what happens with them. That, that'd be, I'd watch that show. After seeing Dogecoin and Shiba Inu and something called Polkadot and all this other stuff, I, I'm, I'm done with watching this stuff. I think it's time to move on. Oh, but it's going to give us more. All right, here's call. I'll give a prediction for, for next year. We're still going to be talking about crypto. <laughs> Wait for the predictions podcast call. And that's oh, coming sorry. next week. <laughs> sorry. Anything else worth noting before we wrap up here at the end uh, of the think, year? I think we, we, we covered it all. And uh, hey, to our faithful listeners, thanks. And as always, we'd love to hear comments and feedback and ideas for new shows, ideas for guests. We, we exist to entertain you. So let, let us know how we can provide that entertainment. Yeah. Thanks so much to everybody for listening this year. It's been a pleasure recording for you. We uh, hope you tell your friends. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc., I Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. I Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which I Private Wealth Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.